Females. We're back. We're back. Podcasting. Big hunt, guys. Episode whatever. Don't even know. 66, I think. Is it? I think so. Yeah, I think somebody said uh, after last week, I I got a DM that said, hey, 65 was good. Appreciate the info on Winter Kill. I think that was 65. So we know where we're at now. We know where we're at. We know at least one guy out there like that. (laughs) (laughs) One guy out there got got some information out of it that he liked. He, He took the time. I always appreciate when people take the time to reach out and say, hey, good job. Yeah, just, I, I, do you just well. appreciate, appreciate the good that. jobs, or do you like the uh, you can send, jobs? You can send bad ones too. I don't care. I very much appreciate the bad ones. I've taken a lot of bad <laughs> feedback, and I am actively working on it. Yeah, I, I can take those too. It's not a big deal. You can't fix what you don't know. So I definitely appreciate when people reach out and let me know. Mm-hmm. Do you want to hit us with promo, and then we'll dive in? Yeah, definitely hit us with the promo code first. So if you don't know by now, we are still in application season. Surprising, right? When you think about it, we've been talking about it's still application season since December, and now we're in end of April here. Do we want to talk about anything that might happen? Any draws came back? Oh, any, yeah. We, anybody, we could, anybody have any luck in New Mexico? <laughs> Did you have any luck in New Mexico? Some, some people have all the luck. You know, yeah. some people have it all. I, no, I, I have no luck in New Mexico. You have all of it. You know what sucks about New Mexico is when you get your draw results back, it's not just unsuccessful. It's a red block. Yeah, it looks really bad. Like you, you look at it, you know, right out the gate that you sucked. Like that ah, you, you had no luck at all. <laughs> yeah. Mine was a hundred percent green across every single app I put on for New Mexico. Brady had some luck. I had some luck. Did you, Did you put, go play roulette that day? Uh, no, I should have. I don't gamble though. We were in Texas and Brady got his results. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. We're up on the hill. He had a little spot of service. Get checks. He's like, "Oh man, that's luck." I'm like, "What?" Yeah, drew it. Drew an Oryx tag and drew my rifle mother tag. So (laughs) I'm sitting pretty in New Mexico. That's what I'm talking about. Some people have all the luck. Not only did he draw, he was also hunting when he found out he drew. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. I think of the times I have drawn New Mexico elk tags. Seems like I've often drawn two tags. Like I've drawn an antelope and an elk tag, or a barber sheep tag and an elk tag. I'm kind of so mad I didn't dump nine grand on my credit card and just you, go all across the board. You should have. You should have. Somebody or, hit me up that said, uh, I can't. I apologize if, if I don't remember who this was, but they hit me up and said that I think it was a wife that had applied for Rocky Mountain Bighorn. First time she'd ever applied in New Mexico drew. and drew a Rocky tag. Ooh. Yep, pretty incredible. That'd be a great day. Yeah. Let me ask you this, Brady. Would that be a would that be a fun day to figure out you're out nine thousand, or would that be? That would be a fun day. That would be. It's an interesting yeah. thought process to be like, huh? Okay. Yeah. I have all my tags, but <laughs> yeah. So I'm I'm happy. You know, it's the first time I ever applied for an Oryx tag and drew one. So it's awesome. Some guys get lucky, and I guess this is my time to be lucky. Love it. Good for you. Cool but, animal. Yeah, it's like we cool talked animal. about previously. New yeah, Mexico about that, works. Yeah. yeah, I mean, what a what a neat chance to hunt a really unique animal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we'll get back into the promo code. <laughs> yeah, sorry, app season. <laughs> app season promo code. So yeah, if we want to give you guys some love back because we still have a lot of apps out there, leftover opportunities. You know, Utah's coming up. We have Oregon, Washington, California, Nevada, Wyoming, Arizona. Mm-hmm. Tons of opportunities left. And then leftover stuff. So use promo code podcasting and sign up. You're going to get 50 points back to the Go Hunt Gear Shop. That's $50 that you can use to buy any sort of gear in the gear shop. And also gives you everything on Insider. Draw odds, filtering 2.0, application strategy articles, point tracker, hunt planner. You know, it gives you access to Go Hunt maps. We're getting into the mapping season now. So when you get some tags, 
now it's time to start doing some e-scouting and then jump in the field, use the, you know, go hunt maps mobile and crush it out there in the mountains. So did you already start e-scouting? Uh, You're a big e-scouter. I am a big e-scouter. As soon as you got back and you saw those green results, were you like diving into maps? <laughs> I'm going to be starting. You big nerd? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pretty oh, soon. Yeah. And, and I found out, I guess, while I was gone too, I drew Montana. So that was pretty sick. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh. This guy. This, you, this I've guy. got no tags so far. You? This guy. No, yeah. I don't have any tags. Dude, mm. if, you, if Utah doesn't come through for me in Colorado, I might just be... I might be out there with the Warriors, the weekend Warriors in Colorado, just OTC. Just OTC it. Up. In it. <laughs> just getting after it, OTC. Uh, but yeah, we should uh, we should introduce our little guest we got today. Yeah, we got a special guest. Very special. Very special. How special are you, Lane? Depends on who you ask, but I think I'm pretty darn special. <laughs> <laughs> give us uh, give us an introduction to who you are, Lane. Give us your first name, last name, what you do how you came to be here. This is our first remote podcast. We're trying this out. So we've got Lane. Lane is remote. Tell us where you're at. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Uh, my name is Lane Collier. I uh, come to you from Missoula, Montana. Uh, work in content and marketing here at Go Hunt. Have been for about a year and a half or so. Um, so we're on here today to talk about New Mexico, the great state of New Mexico, and, and a hunt that I was able to go on last year. It's coming out as a film on Sunday. We're pretty, pretty darn excited about it. You've only been with us for a year and a half. It feels like longer, doesn't it? That was crazy. Did you think it'd be longer? Yeah. It does feel like. How he's done such good work. Like it feels he's, he's changed everything. It feels so good. It feels like he's been here forever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, September of uh, 2021 was when I, when I came over to go hunt. So yeah, it's been about a year and a half. Gotcha. Been so, through a lot though. <laughs> <laughs> Put him to the ringer right away. Yeah. Uh, so this 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 podcast we're going to run through. We like to do these. It's um it's kind of a precursor, right, to the Gohan Originals that's coming out. So we have a Gohan Original dropping this coming Sunday. Yep. Is it nine a.m.? Nine a.m. Yep. Pacific time. Pacific time. So nine a.m. Sunday. Uh, it's going to be called Close Quarters. And like you said, we got Lane and your brother. Yep, my twin brother. Evan oh man, and we lost dad. audio. And we lost audio. Lane, we lost audio. Give us a sec. We suck. Technical difficulties. Let's see how good of a job our producer can do right now fixing this in the moment. No pressure. Go for it, Lane. Is it my microphone? We got you a little bit Before there. I had it set up there, where we went through uh, the War Room TV. Right. Do you think it could be my microphone or is it something on that end? I got you there. We can hear you now. Yeah. How's that? Ah, good. Seems we good. We got you now, yeah. Good. And we're back. Yeah, we're back. So, like I said, go on original. It's called Close Quarters. Uh, Lane, your brother and your dad, right? Yep. So your your brother and you guys you, you look quite alike. <laughs> <laughs> Did you, you knew that right? <laughs> there were several times I, I had to yeah, double take. I've been told. <laughs> are you guys Sorry, you guys are paternal twins or what's the what's the two phrases for that? I can't remember. No, there's pater there's paternal and there's identical we're we're definitely on the identical side. Okay, yeah, you, see, you guys you'll are identical. You see in the film like standing next to each other. 
And, and it's weird when I listen to like the audio from the footage we took, I can't tell if it's me or him, which usually I can, but I, I can't even tell in the audio. <laughs> so similar. I, I just want to know which brother's older. Which, are you older or funny, is your brother? It's not a funny story. It's not a funny story, actually. I've got him by an hour. And so most oh, twins are whoa. like a minute, two minutes, three minutes. And, and I've got him by like 50, I think 56 minutes is, is the gap. And so it was, it was late enough at night that, um, another, like if it was like an hour later, we would have been born on separate days, which I think would have been pretty cool. But he came in right before midnight. That actually would be really cool to be like, I mean, there can't be very many twins out there that are born on separate days. That's wild. You'd have, you'd have had your own birthday. You could have celebrated different <laughs> birthdays. That would have been kind of nice. I know. I know. Yeah. Everything's been same birthday party, same presents, same friends coming over. I've never had my own birthday party. <laughs> well, maybe we should change that. Yeah. Maybe we should have, have his own birthday party. We should go hunt. We'll give you yeah, your own birthday party. Okay. <laughs> now we're talking. I'll come down there. I think Vegas would be the right spot to have my first birthday. I yes. So. For your, sure. Your 21st, I think is how that's supposed to work. But <laughs> up to you. You can have your first 20, 21st. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, let's do it. So uh, give us a background on, on where you're from and like hunting with your, your brother, your family, your dad. I know that you mentioned in the film that you, you kind of grew up hunting with your dad, but where did you guys grow up and like what part did hunting play for you growing up? Yeah, so I'm, I'm from Missoula. That's where I live, Missoula, Montana. Um, born and raised my whole life and uh, went to college here just like Brady and Lorenzo did so trail we got you we got you three to one on this a uh, bunch of Montana Grizzlies here yes we do <laughs> so, go, uh, Grizz. It, <laughs> go Grizz baby so I mean really when it came time to pick pick schools I was actually a trader for the first year I went to uh went to Montana State but but came back Missoula was just my home and came back and so growing up I I played a lot of sports and um it was always like go hunting after after football got over so on the weekends with my dad and my brothers and and so that that typically meant sundays close to home there's never any you know hunting out of state uh i didn't do any bow hunting until i got older um so it was just a routine for for um i don't know six or eight years until i until i got out of, or got into college and when i got into college that's when um it just kind of became went from a hobby to more of an obsession if you will so um being from here had a lot of spots to go and a lot of people that i knew and and obviously uh, my brother was the one that i hunted with the most and so we we just really started spending a lot more time and getting a lot more serious from a where do we want to go and how do we want to hunt these animals and what kind of gear do we want to use and and so that was just a time of a lot of learning and and i think interestingly we both when it came time to to, to pick a major, we both were looking at the University of Montana going, man, there's a lot of things we could study, but business school doesn't even have class on Fridays. So mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a three day weekend every, every weekend. And so that was awesome. And, and, um, with how that goes, if Thursday's your last day, then Thursday's kind of become optional too. So, so uh, we had four day weekends every weekend in the fall and <laughs> we kind of turned them from a three day to a four day weekend, but, um, got to do tons and tons of hunting and, and really that's when I really started getting into a lot of archery elk that I had never done before. 
And as you guys all well know, except for Brady, as soon as you start doing that, you can't stop. It's just too fun and too challenging and too much to too much to learn. So, um, yeah, those were a lot of really, really kind of formidable years that got me into into hunting. And, and like I said, now I just can't stop. I want to I want to know. Uh, so growing up being a twin and your, your dad takes you and your brothers hunting, like was there a competitiveness between the two of you? And how does your dad manage who, who gets an opportunity and when? Does he take you both all the time? Does he try to separate you, take you one, then the other? Like, you know, you guys are in a hunting situation. You're all three together. Like, how does that work out? Do you get the shot because you're an hour older? <laughs> <laughs> there, I mean, frankly, there, if I was trying to be competitive uh, from a hunting perspective with my brother, Evan, I'd be losing every single time. He's just he's just a better hunter. There's no, there's no question about it. So, um I've set that set that point aside, but but we would we would often go to places where like we could split up a little bit and kind of have our own hunts and still and still you know be safe and all that. So um, so no no I mean ultimately we we're out there to spend time together and all that and and we've had a lot of success together, um, but there was never really any conflict about who gets to shoot what or who gets to go. We just all wanted to be out and finding animals and having a good time. Gotcha. My, my oldest brother, he's 12 years older than me, but I, he'll love this story. Hopefully he listens, but we were, uh, we were on an elk hunt together, a spike elk hunt in Utah. And we had these, this spike, he was out in the meadow, probably 300 yards. And, uh, another spike comes feeding along. So there's two spikes out in this meadow. It's like 300 yards downhill. So I tell my brother, you take the right one. I'll take the left one. And, uh, we'll just, we'll shoot on the count of three. Right. <laughs> so he, uh, I count it down. He swears up and down to this day that I shot on the count of two, <laughs> just to, just to get a little bit of competitive advantage there. But he swears I shot on two, and then uh, he didn't he didn't get a shot. But then he, he killed one later that day. So I was curious as to how competitive you guys were between the two of you. And I I still don't think I think I shot on three, but he swears up and down I shot on two. I have no problem admitting I would have shot on two. Yeah, no. You and your brother, admitting. you and oh, your brother have sure. to be competitive. Absolutely, I would have shot on two all day long. Yeah, <laughs> all day long. Yeah. Had to. Yeah, we had we had one one scenario or one hunt that that really uh, I think back to all the time where we had split up. I was with my dad. And my brother was over this kind of this little hill, and we hear you know we hear this bang, and he starts whistling and kind of waving me over because there was another buck in this group. So I I like jumping over all this deadfall, and I get up there, and I didn't even hardly have time to see if he was, you know, a real nice buck or not. So I, I get up there and I shot it. And so we didn't really know where both of them like died at. So we're kind of hiking around, looking, looking, looking. And I find, I find this buck and I grab it by the antlers. And it's just a super, super nice, big old chocolate rack buck. And he he looks at me and he's like, "You did not. That is, don't even try taking claiming that one. That was mine." And we went we went and found mine later, and it was about four years younger and half the size. And he's like, "That's that's yours. This is the one I got." <laughs> so um, that that was pretty funny. But um, yeah, we've doubled up a few times. But uh, yeah, did you did you actually shoot the bigger bug in your mind? No. You're open because he was because he was. He was watching it and he had like this herd or this uh, big group of deer filed out right in front of him. 
And so, I mean, he had he took his time to to find the one he wanted and, and shoot it. And then there just happened to be another one there. It was the middle of the rut. And so, as soon as I grabbed this grabbed this one and pulled it up, it was in a bunch of blowdowns. So I pulled the head up above the blowdown. He's like, uh, uh-uh, that one's that one's me. You you can go find the smaller one. I'm not sure where it's at. <laughs> That's funny. I don't I'm, I'm storytelling yeah. now, but I, I remember another story. This guy shot this buck. He told me the buck came over a ridge. He, he saw this buck come over a ridge. It had been hit, right? And buck goes down and dies, and he's like, assumes that somebody shot it off the backside. So he decides he's going to have some fun with this guy. So he walks down to the buck and puts his sunglasses on the buck. And, oh then, he, and then he, yeah. And then he brushes, brushes his tracks out as he goes back out. Then he climbs up on the hill and just sits and watch. And about 45 minutes, here comes this uh, guy blood trailing over the ridge and he blood trails this buck all the way down. He gets to the buck and here's his buck laying there dead with this dude's sunglasses on. And he said that he just stood there for like 20 minutes. Just like, what is going on? How does this buck have a set of sunglasses? And he's glassing all over the ridge, just trying to find out what's going on. I love shit like that. Yeah, that's pretty, awesome. Pretty funny. Hmm. You, you can use that next that's time awesome. you and your brother go hunting together. Yeah, you can exactly. Find his buck and put some sunglasses on it. Yeah, there we go. I like that. Gotcha. So dive us into this hunt. I mean, you get you. It's a New Mexico elk tag, right? Muzzleloader. Yep. What was uh? What was your anticipation going into this hunt? You pretty excited about it, I would assume. Oh man, yeah. I just it was. It's just so diff, such a different opportunity than I've ever kind of been afforded around here. You know, almost every year in Montana, everyone's got a pocket full of tags, but it's all it's all general and all kind of is what you make of it. So going to New Mexico, which is obviously known for having more elk, bigger elk, great opportunity. Um, I had definitely had standards in my head that I you know everyone kind of puts that pressure on themselves of what you think the hunt could be or should be and and all of that but there was there was definitely a lot of anticipation and and a a 17 or 18 hour drive to to build it up and think about it in your head but um tried to be you know just really tried to be as prepared as i could from a from a scouting and gear and i'm sure we'll get into all that but but i had the whole summer to really try and prepare for it so um i don't know if that's good or bad it built definitely builds a lot of your expectations in your head as your as the date comes closer so, so I'm curious, was this your first like true out of state hunt? Um, I had been in Wyoming a couple of weeks before that, uh, doing a backcountry deer hunt. But other than that, I had gone to Idaho once a couple of years ago. Um, so from, a from the perspective of putting a, a hunt together in a different state and country you're not familiar with, I would still say it was a pretty, it wasn't my first time, but it was still a pretty darn new experience to me. Yeah. Cause I, like, I remember the those like first few it's like very daunting like you said you have such a long drive make sure you have all your gear put together drive all the way down there from montana to go to new mexico like what what was your process of uh finding a spot to hunt like how did that look to you and was, was the train similar to what you thought it would be or how did that work out as you got there and arrived yeah the terrain was pretty similar i mean i spent hours and hours and hours looking at maps and trying to figure out um figure out what i thought it would look like and where i thought would hold elk and and where i was was an area that had quite a bit of quite an extensive road system so my first my first step was just trying to figure that out where i thought we could navigate and then obviously um where we could get away from hunting pressure 
Um, so, so that was a big, that was definitely a big part of it. And then the other thing is that last year in the area I was at, uh, got a lot of water. It, it was a, it was a wet kind of late spring and early summer. And so the folks I had, that had hunted there before that I was able to talk to before I went down, everyone was giving me advice on how to hunt them when it's 90 degrees and a severe drought, you know, it's like, find these, find these water tanks and sit on them for five days. And so when we got in there, we kind of immediately realized there's a bunch of water in here that I think most years that that doesn't happen that way. And so I, I thought that was good. I didn't want to go sit on a water tank for five days, um, but it definitely made us look at the look at the landscape a little bit differently. And, and, and I think it reduced the concentration of elk, made them, made them a little bit more spread out. It looked thick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So as I, as I watched that film, and one of the things that pops up to me when I ask the question is, it doesn't seem like no matter how much I prepare for a hunt, and I, if I've never been to the area, I show up, I have in my mind what I think it's going to look like, what it's going to be like, where I'm going to find an animal, elk, deer, whatever it might be. It always seems like it's not not what I thought. Yeah. <laughs> was it Was it thicker than you thought it would be? It was, and I, I knew there would be, I knew there would be, mature timber but i had no idea what the undergrowth what the undergrowth would look like and you can see in the film that um it's pretty tall it's pretty wide (laughs) there's a lot of it and so um you know what what we learned really quickly was that when you're looking across drainages and you're looking down off that we had this amazing glassing point that we spent a lot of time at and when you're looking down we could see everything and we could see a lot of elk moving and we could see a lot of elk um, feeding out on these hillsides and stuff. And at one point in the film, we see one that we said, there's just no way that we could go over there and get on that thing because what, because it would look so different when we were on the ground at, at eye level with this thing and shit, we'd have to, we'd have to jump on its back almost if we were going to, if we were going to get it, we would have to be that really that close. Looked like you saw a bunch of bulls though, like especially scouting, like a pile of bulls. Yeah. We did, and, and so we we got there two and a half two with two uh, two and a half days before the season opened to do some scouting, and checked out a few areas, and and the first night was night like nothing I'd ever seen. So that was that was like I said, two and a half days before the season started, and I think the first day with a half day of scouting, really at our first spot, I think we saw like nineteen or twenty bulls and a bunch of cows. Um, so as soon as we got there, you know, we had gone in with really high expectations and, and as soon as we got there, we're like, holy cow, this is everything we thought it would be. And then some, and, and they were in spots that, you know, we expected them to be in. So, so from that perspective, I felt like our plan was, was pretty solid and we had enough time to go check out a few other areas and, and see where we were finding elk and where we were seeing other people and where we were thought we were going to be able to get away from people to, to try and put a hunt together and not have a bunch of people bumping them around. What was the hunting pressure like? Were you seeing other people? We saw a lot of, we saw a lot of other people. Yeah. And that first night of scouting it was actually pretty funny. We, we saw this, we hiked in, um, and looked back and saw this herd kind of back towards the road. And this guy gets off a four, this guy gets off a four wheeler kind of right next to him. Um, middle of October and rips this this bugle <laughs> and you so I was looking at this bull through my spotting scope when he bugled and so there's one bull that that 
clearly had been through this before and he kind of tucked his head down and, and didn't do anything, didn't respond. And there was this, it was so funny. There was a spike right next to them that just, he was like, this is my time to shine. And he just rips this <laughs> as, as courageous of a bugle as he possibly could. Um, and, and these guys, I look back at these guys on the four wheeler and they were so, so stoked, but, um, yeah, so that, that was, that was pretty funny. And, and we were just seeing elk kind of everywhere we looked, but as the, as the days went on and we got closer to the season, you know, there's the typical like guys showing up with campers and side by sides and all that, which is, which is totally fine. But, uh, we saw a lot fewer bulls next to the road and heard a lot more engines and a lot more truck doors slamming. And, and so as we went from being some of the first people there to, uh, a lot of people there, um, that pressure definitely pushed them off the road a little bit. Definitely no more, definitely didn't hear any more bugling or anything like that. And so, um, with that in mind, we just, we just thought we were going to have to be strategic about where we went and, and how many other people we thought would kind of try and replicate that approach. We just knew we had to get off the roads. Let me ask you this about scouting. So having a really good day of pre-scouting like that, going into a hunt, it's almost a catch-22. Were you able to keep yourself in your, like, in what you had already preconceived as far as, like, what you were going after? Or did your limits already start going up when you had that good, great day of pre-scouting? So we, we, saw a lot of, we saw a lot of bulls that looked, that were about the same size. Um, so from a, and I'm not really, I'm not really super picky anyway. So from a size perspective, I didn't go into it thinking, oh, I need to find some, some huge bull or anything like that. But, um, but I, I definitely thought that or after a couple of days of scouting, I definitely was thinking, man, there's just, there's just a ton of elk here and, and this would be a, um, a hunt with a lot of opportunity. Um, so, so with that in mind, I, I, I thought I don't want to take any, any risky shots. I don't want to, um, you know, I don't want to be too picky, but I probably don't want to shoot the first bull I see. If it's if it's not something I'd be super stoked with. So um, I tried to manage, you know, this 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 great opportunity with not having, super, you know, expectations that couldn't be met. I was yeah. just down there to have a good time and, and kind of see what happened. I've been guilty of that in the past, of like having a bar set in my mind and having a phenomenal day of scouting mm-hmm. preseason, and my bar immediately yeah. changes. And it, you know, yeah, expectations right. can, can pressure a hunt to a point where it's not as enjoyable as it should have been. Mm-hmm. And I have definitely been guilty of that in the past. And now go, I try and do my best to like going into the hunt. That's my mindset. Scouting, scouting, it's great. Gives you information, but I try not to let it affect my, you know, my strategy yeah. and thought once the hunt actually starts. I think that's a piece of advice I give a lot of people is, uh, I think one of the biggest factors in going into a hunt is your expectations for it. Yeah. Um, having decent expectations like that are realistic with the, the type of hunt that you're going into realistic with your own experience and your own methodology, like what you're good at hunting. And then also, you know, I've, I'm like you, I've had some just bang up scouter days. Oh, so one of my man. expectations the next day, just soar through the roof. And then I just Become get my, unrealistic. yeah, I just get my ass handed to yep. me for the next 10, 15, 20 days or whatever yep. it is. So, yeah, I mean, you can have great scouting days and think you have everything figured out. And that was like, as I, as I watched the film, that was like one thing I I kept thinking is like, you know, you're seeing elk, you're up there and you know that you're in an area where there's definitely bulls. There like has to be a transition from 
seeing elk to like, how do I kill an elk? Mm-hmm. Because those, those are two yeah. different things. And I'm super guilty of like sitting up on ridges myself and watching an animal, whether it's a buck or a bull and thinking, man, I've got this figured I'm here, but killing them is an entirely different thing. And that was one thing I kept thinking was it looked like a tough area to try to kill a bull. Yeah, it, it really was. And, and that was my first that was the first time I'd ever taken a muzzle loader out and I had shot it all summer and was comfortable out to, you know, about 200 yards. Um, but in the grand scheme of how big this country is, uh, getting from 400 to 200 or something like that is a, that's a, that's a lot. <laughs> and so, um, you're right trail. There was definitely a lot of times where we were looking at elk and saying like, this is great. Uh, getting in there and trying to actually get within shooting range with this muzzle loader is, would be really tough. And it was, was tough as the film showed did you do anything like like you said your first time really hunting with the muzzle loader like were you concerned at all with the weather and how that might impact your uh, you know muzzle loader charges did you were you like loaded every single day with powder or were you just gonna load when you put a stock on like how'd you play that out no i kept it i kept it loaded um from the first day really and and, and there was only one day of really significant weather it rained all day on the second day um, so we pretty much packed it in. It, it was it was a, an amount of rain where it's like this isn't a this isn't a reindeer discussion. This is like a get in your shelter and, and tough it out. Um, so most of that day we were we were in the in the tent. But other mm-hmm. than that, it was it was pretty nice and, and for better or for worse, I wasn't really worried about you know water getting down the barrel or anything like yeah. that. What would you have done, Brady? I was curious. You brought the question up, and actually, as I watched the film, I was thinking. I wonder what Brady would do given a muzzle loader in this kind of weather. Yeah, I just, I just noticed that like I'd probably had a, like, a more electrical tape or take like a balloon over the front of the barrel, mm-hmm. and then uh, maybe partway. I, I'm always one of those guys that you know I like to ensure that my first shot's <laughs> going to go off with the muzzle loader. <laughs> and after those days go on, even though it wasn't a very long hunt, but I might have at one point dumped the powder mm. and put fresh stuff in just. You know, you're coming down to the wire. You don't know what, what happened, if it got moisture in it or it got moisture in it from the tent when you're at night and all that stuff and how that could impact it. So it's just like muzzles are fin- finicky to begin with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're better nowadays than they've ever had been, especially these inlines, but that thought's always in my head. So I was just, yeah. just kind of curious of if it thoughts ever creeped in his head, like, is this thing ever going to go off when I pull the trigger? Or what's going to go on? Yeah, I've never had a misfire or a hang fire, but I've never really put much thought into it either. Mm-hmm. But it would really chat my ass if I had oh, yeah. a buck or a bull within range, especially given yeah. the country that you were hunting. Yeah. And I got within range and, you know, you, you what is it? You press the trigger? Press the trigger. You press yes. the trigger. <laughs> I've been working on that. It's, yeah. pretty, it's hard for me to get over, pull the trigger. Uh, I press, it's ingrained. Yeah, it's ingrained, pull the trigger. But I, I press the trigger and it doesn't go off. That would really. Yeah. yeah. Knowing Brady, he would have had it saran wrapped in a latex sleeve. He'd, 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 he'd had a roll, rolled up yeah. in a dry bag <laughs> yeah. the whole hunt. Just wait. Uh, Let me get my gun out real quick. Just wait. So take yeah. take us through. Uh, those, had, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I had one of those kind of crappy rubber balloon things that tore off about the first five minutes of the hunt. And I said, I'm not going to keep putting these on the whole day. <laughs> Look good, hunt good, so, right? Uh, for, yeah, for better or for worse, I took, took it off and, and ran with it. So t- take us through, you had a couple of good scouting days, opening morning shows up, like run us through opening, opening day and how it went. Yeah. So the night before, 
So we had, like I said, we had gone and scouted a few different areas and, and the night before we had like, okay, we're going, if we don't like any of these other areas, we're parking here, we're going to set up our camp and we're going to hunt this the next morning. And, um, the night before we got, we got back there after we went and picked up Mather from the airport and there was someone there, uh, <laughs> and they had all their four wheelers and stuff. We didn't even figure they would be hunting out of that spot, but they were, they were there and it was quite a hike in where we wanted to go. So we, we went to set up at a different area that we were going to have to hike in from a different direction. Um, but we got up there and we were, we were the only people there. So right off the bat, the exact same spot where we had seen elk in our scouting, there was those two, two first bulls, Lane and Evan, if you will, two little bulls fighting on this ridge. Um, so we knew like, cool, this is awesome. Um, and we're in here. And then as we, as we kind of kept hiking in, we got into this giant basin as we kept hiking in, um, one or two other ones kind of stepped out and made themselves visible. And that's ultimately where the first, where the first stock happened is we, we got out, we found this rock outcropping that was probably the coolest glassing vantage I've ever, I've ever been to. It was like 270 degrees of just looking over all this super beautiful elk country. So we posted up there and waited for them to get into a little bit more approachable spot and, and kind of sent it in there. What was it like hunting with a camera guy? I'm curious. Yeah, because this is your first this film first, hunt, right? First film hunt. And we've all hunted with Mathers. We yeah. know we know Mather, but what's what's that like when you pick Mather up from the airport? How you how you feeling? It, it was it was interesting because like I like you guys said, I've never done it. This was my first one. And so I'm I'm not an overly outgoing person as is. And so I, I it was I, I was trying to not and I asked Mather for some advice on you know, what to do and what not to do. And he's like, just be yourself. Don't, don't speak into the camera a bunch. Just kind of, I'm just kind of there. And he's like, I get a lot more footage than, than you would think. And so we don't have to go out of our way to make, to make anything special happen. But I was just, I was so surprised by how stealthy he is, not only just getting shots while you're sitting around, but when we were, when we were on multiple stocks, he's quiet and he was, um, he was great. So from, from the perspective of hunting with a cameraman, I, it didn't really feel, other than the fact that it's in your face once in a while, um, it didn't really feel that different than, than, than being out there with my dad and my brother. Did you, did you feel pressure to get one killed having a camera guy? Yeah, yeah, I, <laughs> I definitely did. And, and he's, you know, he's done so many of these that I was asking him, you know, about, about a lot of that stuff about, setting up for the shot and do I need to check with you? You, you always, you'll see on films where people say, are you on him? Are you on him? I will be on it. I'm good. Um, but from the perspective of telling a fun hunting story, it's, it's always better when, when someone gets one in the end. So, so I did feel a little bit of pressure there, but, um, not much. I tried to, I tried to not let it get in my head and, or, or affect my kind of my judgment or my decision-making throughout the hunt. Yeah. I've, uh, I've said this almost verbatim, the same thing you just said about Mather and Matt Mather's done a bunch of films for us. He's been with me. And like, every time I come back from a hunt with Mather, I always think, I think I've told you before when I got back, I'm like, I don't know what we're going to do. Cause it didn't seem like he filmed shit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I don't think he did anything. He was just kind of there, but then he gets the shots that he needs and you hardly ever even notice that he's filming anything. But he, in his mind, as he's out there, he's building a film as he goes and he gets the shots that he needs. And like, I'm continually 
I'm, I'm like genuinely blown away. Like when I watch back through one of these films and I did the same thing when I watched this one yesterday, um, just, you know, like the B roll, the close shots, like those captures that make mm -hmm. kind, of, kind of capture the hunt, you know, like the lightning blowing up in the tent. Um, those kinds of shots that just like kind of captivate you. They take you, they propel you right there into the hunt with him. So mm -hmm. yeah, it makes you feel like you're there in the hunt, not just like watching a recap of the hunt. Yeah. That's what he's so good at. Yeah, he captures yeah. a lot of details yeah. that I, I would never think to. Yeah. He's so good at what he does just on the storyline basis too. Like he knows, obviously being hunters, we all know there is plenty of wasted time mm -hmm. and plenty yeah. of redundancies of we're going to hike up to this hill, we're going to glass. Yeah. You don't need every single, you know, you don't need video ev evidence of every single time you climbed up to a hill and started glassing. He just, he knows how to progress the story in a film without like necessarily having to recap it as a talking head. Mm -hmm. you know? He does an incredible job of that. Yeah. And he's yeah. a pretty funny guy. He's it's fun. He's super fun. Yeah, he's got all the stories. But it's it's fun because you leave, like we left the hunt thinking, I, I have all these vivid, mem awesome memories of, of time spent with those guys. And, and then when you get to recap it, you're like, oh, man, I, I forgot that happened or I forgot that this happened this way or something like that. So uh, that was definitely cool. And like you said, he he, he captures so much more than than you think in the moment and then when you get to relive it uh brings back all these details to life that kind of put you put you right back in that moment which is which is really awesome did he did he sing or make up any tunes for you like any country tunes in your downtime that's one of the things mather loves yeah, to do he <laughs> loves it yeah. <laughs> trail and i were just talking about that on our mather loves to hunt. make up country tunes yeah I don't, not that I can remember, but uh, he did tell some funny stories. I'm not sure if I can tell him on the podcast. Or not. <laughs> That's funny. He's always, he's good at like, yeah, he's also, he's also a university of Montana guy. So that trail, we got you four to one now. Man, I have to get, we through all the downtime, we figured out, we got some mutual connections and mutual friends, which, which is fun. I'm going to have to go back to grad school. U of M, but up there, U of M. Moved to moved to Missoula yeah, for yeah. a few years. So day one kind of ends, and then um, is day two the day that you get rained on pretty hard? Or is that day three? Yeah, day two, and that was day two, and and we saw that coming like a week away in the forecast. It was like hundred percent rain, hundred percent lightning, um, and and like storm warnings and all that. So day two, we, we went a different direction because um, we want, had another spot that we wanted to check out that was going to be a little bit closer hike that we could have, we could shoot back to camp if, if it got too nasty. And so we went up into this spot, which was kind of a, which was kind of a, um, a dud. We didn't see anything and, and made it back to camp. And by, I think by 930 in the morning or something, we were on the shelf for the rest of the day. Like water dripping through the the um the stove jack in our ball tent and and just super bad lightning uh the we had a tarp down in the wall tent and it was like getting a, a pond underneath it so uh, it was one of those days which kind of was a bummer because it's such a short season but but there was there was not really another option to be honest and and at one point Mather's sitting there and he says at least we're in a metal tent during a rain. It was right on top of us and just broad daylight, just crashing down, crashing down. And we're like, I don't know enough about lightning to know if we were in danger or not. But um, the, the comment, the comment was hard to get out of my head for the next eight hours of lightning. 
Yeah. You know, you know, it's a real thing when the, when the weatherman goes out on a limb and says 100%. 100. You know I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Cause like they can always give themselves outs when they say 98%, 90, well shit, you know, 2% I gave you that might not happen. He's putting his reputation on the line with that 100%. That shit's real. Mather, Mather is a little paranoid. Mather yeah. loves oh. to, he loves to point out all the things that could go wrong. <laughs> Beyond paranoid. <laughs> Which is always funny yeah. to me. Yeah, my brother is is not a lightning fan either. Um, which we found out found out in Wyoming a few weeks before got caught in a lightning storm up there too. And so he's he's like, you know, hat over his head, earplugs in, just trying to get trying to get the day over with in between meals, you know. <laughs> Something that uh you just pointed out, you said because I mean you lost a day of hunting essentially due to rain, right? You're you guys are stuck in the tent. And that muzzleloader season's a five-day season, right? Yep. Is that? I mean, that seems so short. It does. It is a muzzleloader so hunt five five days. A five-day muzzleloader hunt seems pretty short. And and I know New Mexico's also got some late-season archery hunts, and those are five days. Um, were you ever? I mean, how did you feel about five days? Did you were you left wanting? Were you do you feel pressure, especially when you lose a day to to rain like that? Yeah, the day of rain was was a, a total bummer right and then um my experience was that that after a day or two the deck kind of gets of hunting pressure and and we were part of that you know we had multiple animal animal encounters and so the deck kind of got shuffled anyway so it left us on you know middle of day three thinking like do we need to try something different because the the all the elk we were seeing in here earlier um we're seeing fewer we're seeing different ones so um, yeah, it was definitely, it, it was interesting because we didn't know what was going on, going on in other areas and we didn't know, uh, if there would be new elk moving into the spot we were hunting, if we should be checking out something different, but we did, we were hearing tons and tons of gunshots from people <laughs> next to the road. Basically. Did you think it was Utah? Um, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so we knew that, you know, that that's not you know, if people want to do that, that's fine with me, but that, that's not what we were going to go to New Mexico for was to, to drive around and see if we can find one on the road. So we tried a different spot on the evening of day three, which turned out to be a dud. Um, but, but from when we got done with that rainstorm going into day three, there was a, a different sense of kind of urgency and, and you start to let those thoughts creep into your head and start to put a little bit of pressure on yourself that we got to find one and start making moves on being a little more aggressive. Yeah. I think that middle of October is probably one of the hardest times to hunt elk. Yeah. And then they lock you to five days too. It is a tight window. Tight window. I mean, early season you've got, I mean, even early, early season, like if you have a a bow hunt that opens in, you know, August, like you've got in Utah, you've got probably a week to two weeks where those bulls are mostly in bachelor herds and they're pretty, um, you know, they're habituated kind of with that same mm-hmm. summer pattern, right? They're hitting typically the same water, same drainage. They're hanging out together. So you can kind of target them them. They're a lot more patternable. And then you move into September and you've got the rut. So audibly you can hear them, you can chase them. So you've got that advantage. And then, you know, November, December, those bulls have moved into like winter range and they're definitely tucked away in pockets and they're pretty patternable. You know, I think for, they're for, very for, patternable late yeah, season. For, for the most part, you find those bulls in the same drainages, but mm-hmm. like that October time frame, it's interesting. Like you said, I know that you use the term in the, in the film shuffled the deck. So you were seeing different bulls every, every day. Yeah, we saw a lot of different ones and, and there was 
the one that we had multiple encounters, we did have one that we had multiple encounters with, but um, yeah, for the most part, we were not seeing, not seeing the same ones, which I found interesting because prior to that season starting, there was, there's a gap between the, the last archery season and this muzzleloader season. So I think there was a lot of, they had a lot of downtime. They weren't getting any pressure. And I think my, my assumption is that they had settled in a little bit. And then as soon as people started, you know, they started hearing trucks and four wheelers on the roads, definitely some gunshots, definitely a little bit of weather. Um, I think it got them up and moving and made it less predictable than what we had observed in the couple of days before the season. And then that first day. Yeah. I think mid October they're mobile. I mean, I think cow calf herds, they can be, a lot more, you know, predictable. They're, they'll go to where the feed is, but I think those bulls come October, first couple of weeks of October, and maybe even into the the tail end of October. I think they're moving a lot still. I think a lot of them are, you know, potentially transitioning towards winter range. So they're like in that transitionary period, or they're still kind of expanding and exploring and looking for those second psychic cycle cows. I mean, I know that when that year I hunted uh, Colorado mid October with my kid. You know, there were still bulls bugling. That was actually a really good rut hunt, quote unquote rut hunt. But I think a lot of those bulls were just moving. You know, they were trying to find those second cycle cows that maybe didn't get bred in the middle of September. Yeah. October is like they don't know what they want. Like yeah, they'll they, pull off a day. They'll check it out a day. Yeah. They'll pull off a day. Like they have no clue what they what they want. Hard They're to just hunt. Wandering. Super yeah. nomadic. It seems like that time of year. It's a tough time of year to have a muzzleloader tag. And that's why I say October's for antelope. You know, that's just <laughs> October's me. for antelope. That's a good saying. <laughs> I do like that. Yeah. Yeah. The cool the cool thing that that I noticed that was a, a big contrast in New Mexico from from like up here in Montana was that early early rifle season, which would have been that next weekend up up here in Montana is so hard to hunt elk, or at least for me anyway, because they, they're, they're hard to figure out. They stay in the timber or they're not out very long, but, but the ones that we were seeing in, in New Mexico, um, part of it was probably due to the vegetation. There wasn't, we were hunting an area that didn't have as much timber, but they were out longer, feeding longer, moving around a little bit more than I thought they would. So, so that was pretty cool. That, that made it, um, a little bit more predictable than, than maybe I had thought. Gotcha. Do you, uh, I was curious about New Mexico and elk. So I did a little reading. Mm. Just, I don't know if you guys are, are you interested in hearing a of little, a little bit, a little I'm bit always about, interested in, yeah. in trail science and data talk. So I, <laughs> I did a little looking yeah. last night. I was just curious. Did you get, so apparently New Mexico, Arizona had a species of elk that was extirpated. So extinct, which was the Merriam's elk. Have you ever heard of that? I have not. No. Yeah. So I didn't know this was news to me last night, which is pretty embarrassing considering I have a biology background, (laughs) 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 but I, I just, I just admitted it. But, um, yeah. So Merriam's elk, which is like a subspecies of elk, big, big bodied. Never heard of this. Yeah, Yeah. I know. But, but true story. So they figured Uh those were extirpated in the late 1800s extinct, if you will. Uh, I found a record here. It said in 1875, a group of 2,000 elk were observed in southern New Mexico. And I don't know if that was a group of 2,000. Can you imagine? That's a lot of elk. That's a lot of elk. (laughs) But presumably those would have been uh, Merriam's. Merriam's, yeah. Yeah. We're talking Merriam's turkeys? Similar, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, essentially they would have got hunted, became extinct. And this is, I thought was interesting. It says elk were killed, uh, to feed the wave of soldiers, miners, and ranchers who contributed to the occupation, uh, of this state after the civil war. 
Uh, so kind of market hunted, hunted out, and then also through overgrazing. So as ranchers moved into that country, they would have overgrazed and just mm-hmm. knocked down a lot of feed. So essentially would have eliminated all those elk. So pretty well extirpated completely by 1900. Uh, 1903 declared a game animal, so later on. And then um, in 1910, 1911, they would have taken a private ranch, which was the Bartlett Ranch, introduced 15 Rocky Mountain elk from Yellowstone. Hmm. And then a game warden whose name was, uh, I'll find it here in a sec, but he essentially kind of took it upon himself and he released, they released 12 elk into the Sangre, Sangre de Cristo Mountains. And then by 1912, you had a population of about 60. And then all the way from like 1912, all the way through, it would have been like 1967, 19, early 1970s, um, they did like these reintroductions and they just kept kind of filtering elk in, Rocky Mountain elk. Really? So it's kind of, kind of interesting that you would have had a subspecies and I'm, I would be curious to know if like there's any lingering gene pool. Of, like, those, I was just going to ask you, did you see if any, like is there any I, blood study I, DNA I, that I, it I exists? Couldn't, mm-hmm. I couldn't find anything conclusive that said, you know, that they did any kind of DNA testing that, that would have shown that maybe they crossbred. Yeah. Um, but everything I could read, a bigger bodied elk. So like a rose belt? Bigger bodied, bigger, heavier antlers, it said. So like more potentially more massive. Yeah. Um, I did find one thing that said uh, they had a bull that had like 60 some inch beams that Ooh. from, it was, you know, historical set of sheds that was from a Miriam's. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And then wow. Just food for thought, um, current herd estimate in New Mexico, essentially from zero, 104,000. Those elk, man. Current. Man, they are. <laughs> prolific. They are efficient at breeding and surviving. Yeah. Yeah, so there's a little, a, a quick synopsis on just kind of elk in New Mexico, and I thought it was interesting as I, as I was watching this film, you guys saw a lot of elk, it looked like. And it's, it's a... Yeah, yeah we, we saw a ton. It's a pretty dang cool story as far as like conservation and restoration of elk. And, you know, they're, they're different species, subspecies, if you will, Rocky Mountain versus Miriams. But, man, what a cool opportunity. And, you know, kudos to the state of New Mexico for the job they've done in like reintroducing elk. And, they clearly did a good job. Yeah. I had no, I would have never guessed that they were yeah, done, gone. Yeah, did nothing. That, yeah. I mean, that state <laughs> is, that state carries some elk, like incredibly mm-hmm. carries some elk. Yep. Pretty, pretty cool. It's uh, habitat wise. I mean, it looked like awesome elk habitat, right? Yeah, it was. And, and there was a ton of forage. And the, the, one of the cool things is that we were hunting a big burn that I think about 10 years prior, hmm. my brother in college, my brother Mitch in college was a, a wildland firefighter. And so um, I don't want to give too many details away about where we were, but he was actually on the fire. Oh, no way. fire in the burn that we were and so, yeah, when I was talking to him, he, he had, he, had, he was down there in, in the late summer. And so he's like, man, there was elk everywhere. And he wasn't giving me, you know, particulars on the actual, you know, area itself, but he was like, it's just super cool. It's a mature forest. Um, a lot of elk that, that he saw just, just hiking around fighting fires. So, um, yeah, the area was, the area was great. Hmm. Yeah, that's cool. Man, that's really cool that he would have fought fire on the same unit, same that's area. Awesome. Man. Really cool. Yeah. yeah, give us your exact uh, your exact pins. What you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, he was camped just a couple miles away, really, from where we were camped. And so that was, That's cool. that was, that was pretty cool. It was kind of unintended, but, but um, kind of a fun story. <laughs> Did you, uh, as you went through the hunt and you're closing in, I don't know, do, do, we, do we want to give? Do we want to talk about how it yeah, ends Yeah, let's up? give it. Do you want to give, give it? Give it away? We have two days left on this we story. Got, we got two days left. So let's give it. Give, it. give, it, give us day four and day five. Yeah, um, day four was an interesting one because I think day four was, um, was, I was explaining to you guys earlier that, that we had to take this different route in from where we had originally started. And there was, there was two ridges that I will tell you looked very similar, very similar to me and very similar in the dark on the map. So we started down the wrong ridge first thing in the morning on day four and then had to backtrack <laughs> a little ways. <laughs> so we got back into this area and, and that was when, that was when I kind of noticed like, there's this, this area feels a little more pressured than it was. Um, there's not a bunch of elk up and, and moving around and all that. And so we had seen some smaller bulls kind of again in that, in that same spot where we were seeing them most mornings, but that, that particular day, someone had come up from the bottom, which good, good for them. That was a long hike. And they had walked right up, um, kind of where we were trying to go. And, um, so that that was just tough because we were we were really hoping that elk would be piling in. The the the, the unit that was just over kind of this ridge wasn't really. Uh, I don't think there was a season going, so we had observed a lot of elk coming over from that unit, and so that was pretty tough to see. Like late in the day, I think it was late in the day on day four, if my if my memory serves me correct, that there was someone stomping right through where we were hoping to see them, um, and at that point we were feeling a little discouraged, feeling sorry for ourselves because it was, it, it was felt like the opportunity was slipping away a little bit. Hmm. You have, when you're seeing people and they're marching up through elk habitat, I mean, did you ever, I mean, did you abandon that area that day and move to a different area or did you just stay with it, stay we, with the plan? My memory serves me correct. We, we stayed in a similar spot, but, um, we did, we did move, but we didn't like pull the plug and move somewhere else. So we, we moved to a spot, I think where we figured there that those guys wouldn't have gone through or wouldn't have disturbed. Um, but we didn't pull the plug and go to a completely different area because that would have required us yanking the, you know, yanking the wall 10 out and, and kind of really, um, making big changes. And, and we didn't feel like that was the right move with, with a day and a half left. Gotcha. Are you, uh, are you thinking at that point, are you, are you kind of wrestling with the, and you made some stocks. Let me, let me go back. So you made, you made some stocks and you'll, you'll see it in the film as you go. They, they didn't quite work out the stocks that you made. And I was curious as to, it's not apparent. Do you think you got winded? What were the winds like in, in that area? How were you managing that? And then if it wasn't wind, I mean, what, what exactly happened? You know, I don't, I don't think it was the wind. There's one, there's one point on the third day, it was super foggy. Um, and we said, we're going to go down. We're going to kind of get on the same level as them. And then we're going to play the wind from there. And if the wind doesn't look good, we'll come back up and, and wait it out. They were, as they were kind of feeding up this draw. So I, I, I don't know. I think, I'm not sure if they heard us. I don't think they saw us, but, um, that third day specifically, we had gotten in, and, and I think this is probably why the film is called Close Quarters is because, you know, there wasn't 
they were down in this cut that was so, I was astonished when we got up there how narrow it was. I was like, man, I don't know how you how we ever would have gotten hmm. an elk in here unless we were like in bow range. But it was deep and it was really, really narrow. So they were just tucked right in there. Um, and, I, and we were going pretty quiet. We were we were being careful and, and the wind I think was in our faces. Um, so I'm not sure if they heard us or what, but but there was two two separate days exact same spot i think it was i know one of the elk was the exact same i think it was the same three bulls each time um really sim similar scenario where we were kind of creeping through there and all of a sudden they're kind of making their way out so um of course what re recapping the whole thing i'm sitting there thinking to myself i probably should have been more patient or uh, a little more careful on where i think they could be and whether that's a realistic spot to try and try and get one but the way the country was laid out um there wasn't really any any opportunities to kind of set up on a vantage point and have them come it, come at a distance that would, would be realistic with that muzzleloader. So uh, I'm still I'm still kind of replaying it in my head, thinking, man, I'm I'm not exactly I know what I did. I wouldn't do that again, but I'm not exactly sure how I would approach this differently, you know, hmm. a second time. Gotcha. Very interesting. So now you're on day five, last uh, day, last day. What's, rally what? caps? Do you guys flip yeah. the hats and set out? Do you guys <laughs> yeah. shave your head? I like what the rally was, cap. What was the idea. rally? <laughs> we should have done the rally cap. No, I, I don't, yeah, we didn't have any specific uh, superstitions or anything like that. But, but um, we got in there a similar spot, and right off the bat, there was a bull coming up out of, uh, like right where those guys I was mentioning that that were parked there before the season, right out from where there's a bull coming right out from where they were camped, basically. Um, that one had actually bugled down down below while it was still dark. So we set up, and fortunately for us, we kind of watched him feed up and out of the feed up out of this bottom up up. And, and there's a spot in the film where I think he's at like 350 yards, which again, um, super different between a rifle and a muzzle loader. That's totally out of range for a for a muzzle loader and a, and a pretty manageable shot with a rifle. So um, he he fed up above this big rock outcropping that you know our option was to go up where he went which was that super thick super loud just i don't i think it would have been a super low a, a low opportunity kind of stock or we could go below and see if he fed out and, and um so we took our chance and went below which i never like i always feel a little uncomfortable kind of letting them go out of eyesight and then trying to find them in a different spot later but we took that route. There was a trail going below this big rock outcropping, and so we went down there and got set up and 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 waited for him. And and um, as it turns out, he just he went somewhere else. Hmm. It's always weird how they do that. <laughs> Six cents, man. <laughs> it it almost. I was. I think when we were in Texas, I was telling those guys, it's crazy to me how a herd of elk or an elk can be so loud because. Odd dad, we could hear rocks rolling all the time, oh, yeah. right? And same thing with elk. There's so many times when those elk are just unassuming. They think they're out there in the woods by themselves. They're cruising around. You hear them rolling rocks, breaking branches. Sticks like crazy. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it seems like they become aware that, you know, they're in potential danger and they just go almost deadly silent and they can just slip out and move country and they're just it's gone. Wild. It's It's always, it never ceases to amaze me that an animal of that size you know, that much body weight, as big as they are, the, you know, what do you call them? A yellow school bus? Yeah. Yellow school bus. Yeah. Yellow school bus. You love them though. You're the elk guy now. <laughs> you, you do love them. Yeah. 
But it's yeah. always amazing that a big yellow school bus can just disappear so quickly and easily. Yeah. And that losing them out of eyesight yeah. lane, that is, it, it is a difficult thing, right? With, with hunting. And then you, you get into the, you get into the mindset of like, okay, are you going to be super aggressive to try to turn mm -hmm. them back up? Or are you going to be slow and patient? Like what, what, what is the right thing to do? And you obviously, you have no clue. So it's, it literally is just like a flip of the coin. Hope, hope this hope one is works. the right decision, you know, mm -hmm. but you have to decide on one. Yeah. You being super aggressive and going to turn them up right away when you know, you know, the best chance of them still being in that next bowl he went into, or are you going to play the patient game? And, but last day that's uh yeah, that's a tough, like let's be patient and, and wait kind of a thing on that last day. And with a primitive weapon too. and with a primitive weapon, like, oof, time that's to get a, aggressive. That's a, yeah. yeah, that's a tough spot to be in. Yeah, yeah, it is. And and I find myself, whatever you decide, if it doesn't work out, you always find yourself convin con convinced you should have done the other thing. Like, of ah, course. Should've, yeah. Should've waited him out. Or if, if you waited out like we did, I'm like, I wonder what would have happened if we would have gone up on that ridge and, and really tried to go right after him. And so, um, yeah, it's always a game time call. But, but for this one, it was very similar vegetation up there to where, you know, a lot of these stocks were happening in the film. And so it's just like, man, this would be so loud. This would be, um, we might not, we might be right next to him and not even see him because how tall it is. So for those reasons, we felt like, let's try and be patient. Let's see if he comes out here. He's not, he wasn't dis disturbed in any way when we, uh, kind of lost, I said, lost, uh, couldn't see him anymore. So, yeah, that's kind of what factored into our decision to, to go around slowly yeah. and see if he fed out. So was that kind of your last ditch? Was that kind of the last effort of your hunt then? That was the last, yeah. And so and so we had seen, a, it was kind of a noticeable decline from from after that thunderstorm. Not, not immediately to zero, but fewer and fewer elk. Um, so we went out to that, that spot where um, where we had such a good vantage point and said, if there's one in here, this is our best bet at seeing it. I don't think stomping around um, a brand new area was going to be our, our best opportunity. So we went in there and, and I don't think we, I can't remember, but I don't think we saw, I don't think we saw any more bulls that day. And that was kind of, that was kind of the end of it for us. Gotcha. What I was going to say, so like you've had a lot of time now to kind of like look back on this hunt and think about it, which is hard to do, but like what maybe is something you've thought of now that, you know, maybe you should have or could have done differently, maybe a certain day or, you know, whatever your thought process may that, you know, maybe get it done on one of those days that you had or something you might've regretted doing. Like you said, like go down instead of being patient or like, what, what do you, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think I, the, the first thing I would have done differently is that, like I said, those, the, the two stocks where we really got close to them, they were in these cuts that were that were narrow and, and really deep. So a uh, really tough spot to try and try and get in on them when it's, you know, the woods were so still, there's hardly any wind. Um, so I would have probably rethought maybe watching them until they had gotten into a better spot or, or been a little bit more patient, um, not even going down there until, until maybe they had stopped moving so much. That's one thing. And then the other thing I think um, I probably would have spent I spent a pretty good amount of time with that muzzleloader getting to know it. And Brady, I know you've got the same one. Um, and the effective range of that gun is, is definitely farther than yeah. my effective range with it. Just because I was, I was figuring out the load data. I was figuring out how to shoot it consistently. 
So that first night there was a, there was an encounter where this bull is just at about two, two fifty, And I was just like, it's the first day. It's a little, you know, it's a little long. It's my first filmed hunt. Last thing I want to do is, is wound one or any of that, you know? So, um, I played it safe and, and, and decided to not take that shot. So I, looking back, I think if I was more proficient with that muzzle loader, that, that would have been an opportunity to make that a success. Does that kind of put a sour taste for future muzzleloader hunts right now? Or are you gung-ho on trying to draw another muzzleloader tag and trying to get a little revenge? <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty into it. Honestly, I think, uh, <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it revenge, but, but <laughs> I, I did a lot of research on, on muzzleloaders last year. And, and I, I, I love the idea. I think it opens up across the West. I might, might get a little hate for saying this, but there's some, some good opportunities in terms of tags that aren't super hard to draw. Uh, good seasons. A lot of states now have muzzleloader tags. I mean, in, in, in my home state, we've got that heritage season in December, which is a totally different ball game. So um, if anything, I think it made me a lot more interested in, in um, hunting with a muzzleloader just because of, just because of the opportunity. And, and I think it's, it's a challenge that just like bow hunting, it's, it's different. It's just a challenge that you can nerd out on and, and spend as much time as you want getting good at it and figuring out those opportunities and how elk behave in these different, these different seasons that you might not normally get to hunt. I don't, I don't think that you're alone and, um, coming back from a hunt or revisiting hunts from your past and feeling like, you know, maybe there was something like, like you brought up the example of your muzzleloader, you know, you, you think that that muzzleloader is probably, uh, effective out to a further range than what you had potentially put the practice and the time into. I know that myself included, I've gone on, you know, bow hunts where I looked at my bow and like my, my confidence wasn't completely and totally, I mean, up to snuff to where I think it should be. Um, and I, I think that's a, it's, it's important. Like the, what you just said is an important lesson. And it's something I think about quite a bit is like, it's really easy to, to get busy with life and you know everything that you got going on and put the preparation into your hunt before you go um this may be not up to par of what you would want to get out of it and i've always found that like the more i put into the preparation prior to leaving my confidence goes through the roof and then you know i come back from those with a lot less regrets if you will you know so like I don't, sure. I don't think that you're alone in that feeling and i've i've done it a bunch um i just think it's a good lesson and i one i mean i it, i'm continually trying to relearn it but i try to go out there with equipment whether it's equipment or you know i'm i'm notorious for being lackluster on scouting like as far as like e-scouting right i'm really good on the ground going out and putting boots on the ground and seeing and figuring it out once i get there if i've done that but like i'm i'm a pretty lackluster e-scouter if you will but that's like a good lesson. There's a ton I could glean and I could put together a whole hell of a lot better hunt plan before I leave, you know, so that I don't run into, into those issues and those potential regrets. So I think it's, you're not alone for sure. It's, I think it's a good lesson to learn for everybody out there. The more that you can do, I think the better your results. Yep. It's that way with everything I think, but I entirely agree. I can remember coming home from hunts, having that like effective range confidence mm -hmm. thing and then coming home and being motivated to like, man, yep. I'm, I'm going to fix that. Yep. Like I am going to get proficient at that. My, my opportunity is going to go through the roof, just getting that little bit better. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You miss an opportunity, you know, maybe a piece of equipment doesn't perform like you wanted to, but yeah, you, you come home and, and you're like, man, I'm going to put all my time and effort into making that the thing that never fails. Yep. <laughs> 
Yeah. Was there pieces yeah. of was there pieces of gear that you took with you that you liked that worked for you? I'm curious, like on gear selection, is there anything that you you were like, man, I would use that or I need to change something? Um, I'm definitely a fan of the uh, spent a lot of time in the puffy and the rain gear. Um, <laughs> the one thing that was different that was different for me from a gear perspective this year um, is going to be a little bit of a shameless plug was was we were using the all in system, mm. um, and so. So from the perspective of, uh, taking, taking video, um, to, to kind of to each their own on that one. But what I really liked is you were cataloging, we're all able to stand around and, and, um, kind of assess animals and talk about them and, and, and kind of take inventory there. And that was really slick. Um, but other than that, you know, it, it was pretty standard, um, pretty standard gear list. And, and we were, like I said earlier, we were in a wall tent, so. Gotcha. We were eating like kings every night. That's kind of a rule in my campus. Um, no olives, and other than that, we're gonna we're gonna eat really good. So wait, no, me. so um, no olives. <laughs> you and Brady would get no, along great. No olives. Oh, I thought oh, he said yeah. no elk lives. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no oh, olives. I was no, gonna say no, you no, and Porter would get I along great in camp it. with this whole eating thing until you said no olives. Actually, actually, yeah, Porter no, hates him too. You would get along great. Sounds like Porter and Lane are going on an elk this hunt sounds, together. Sounds like he does. He dislikes olives as well. It's perfect. Yeah, there we go. So, so we, uh, I mean, we we froze a lot of like chili and taco meat and all that, and and uh, had a really you know a cozy setup and cots and, and a wall tent and burners and all that. So, um, from that perspective, the gear the gear conversation on that's a lot different than you know a backcountry style hunt. But but we had we had. Um, a very nice camp. Brady was using the all-in system last week. Give, I mean, I don't know if everybody knows what all-in is, but give us a rundown on what that is. Yeah, I've been a big fan of it all this last year during 2022 hunting season and then going into 2023. It makes digiscoping just that much easier because all you have is that little ring that has like a magnet on it that goes on your spotting scope. So it fits on there really nice and clean, just slips right on there. They're all sized for your specific spotter mm -hmm. and swaros, you know, loophole, vortex, whatever you might have, you can get that size for it. Then all it really is, I have it right here actually, on my phone right now. So it's a case that's specifically designed for your phone, either an iPhone, Samsung, whatever it might be, with another magnet thing on the top of it. So what makes it really slick is those magnets, when they go on there, you just basically snap it right on there and you're digiscoping. It's just stupid simple to, to explain it. And you can go vertical, you can go horizontal, you can flip it all around. And what's really nice too is you're not putting it at a, at a weird angle. Like the way those magnets work, mm -hmm. it's gonna like self align itself to make it go vertical or to make it go horizontal and it's just smooth. So you can really just lock down your tension on your pan and your vertical and your spotter, slap this right on there and your digiscoping is no more like fumbling around, trying to make it tight on a, an adapter or anything like that. And then all of a sudden your spotter moves it's perfect digiscoping like every single time. I think it makes bigger sense if you're, you know, those quick situations where I need to see what that animal is really quick before it gets up and over a ridge or I want to record it for my friend who's going to take a shot so I can see where he mm -hmm. hit that animal or even out at the range. Like I use it all the time shooting my rifle and I think it just makes it so much quicker. Like yeah, we, I don't think it's a shameless plug at all, Lane, and uh, I genuinely don't think that. We on Porter's uh, deer hunt, mm -hmm. his, his third season deer hunt, we had all of the options mm -hmm. and Porter had the all in yep. it, 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 it is, uh, changed the, the situation mm -hmm. of digiscoping for yeah. sure. I think it's, it's awesome. Cause like you said too, like when you have something that's super easy to use, you're going to catalog more, 
You're exactly. going to get that. You're going to get that inventory of the animals you're looking at on a more consistent basis, and then you're going to go back to camp that night and start reviewing it, rather than like, oh, what was that animal? Was he what we want to go after? Like, well, now you have it all recorded. You can you know look back on it, and it's good for like yourself looking back on good memories, looking back on a fun hunt, checking out cool animals you saw, or even other animals you're not even hunting, yeah. like digiscoping an eagle or something like that on top of a ridge. Like that's freaking cool to be able to do that. Yeah, yeah. I love all that shit. Yeah, it's yeah. quick. One of my favorite parts about that too is looking back and listening to listening mm-hmm. to like mine or someone's reactions when you're seeing animals and how you how your first impression is and how excited you get to see them and the the things you pick up while you're watching them. I think that's just that's just funny and I, I, um and it, it's just digiscoping so chain. I think it's just changed so much from seeing you know where even if it's not. Uh, you know, assessing an animal or, or getting their antlers or anything like that, even reviewing your shots or something like that. There's so many, there's so many interesting use cases that I didn't think of when I first got, you know, a digiscoping setup, but I just love it. I thought you were going to say one of your favorite parts is going back and listening or watching and listening to like the side conversations that yeah. are going. <laughs> I get so embarrassed. I have to turn my oh, volume. Me too. I, I, I can't I never... listen to myself. I'm like, God, you sound like an idiot. Quit talking like that. <laughs> yeah. But I can't help it. I'm excited yeah. in the moment, you know, and yeah. it's like that's when all, you know, the guard's down and you just react in the moment and I have to turn the volume off. I'm like, yeah, I can't listen to myself. Yeah, those side conversations. I'm like, nah, I don't want to hear yeah, that. I hear that. <laughs> oh, probably better not. <laughs> That's funny. So, I mean, just kind of run out. So you, you didn't you didn't end up ultimately harvesting one, right? And I, I assume it was right. you're probably a little bit disappointed, but I was curious as to you know what you ended up thinking about the hunt as a whole. Like, what kind of memories did you take from it? What did it mean to you? I mean, everyone who doesn't who doesn't fill a tag on a hunt says, "Man, it was just so so fun to be out there." But really, when I when I look back, <laughs> I, don't, I don't regret. Uh, the decisions that we made in the moment, or I don't regret, you know, where we, where we went or how we planned for it or anything like that. Um, so I just, I just leave it with nothing but fond memories and, and spending a lot of time, time out in the field with, with my family. And I just, it's such a unique place. Like you were reading those elk numbers. There's just, just to be surrounded by elk like that and have opportunities every day. And, and we saw some really, really big bulls, especially in the scouting in the scouting part. Um, so it was just, it was just very new. It was very different to me from anything I had ever done. And, and, and I just feel super fortunate to have gone and done that. Yeah. We always, we always talk about it. We don't give a shit if there's a kill or not in any of our films. That's not mm. like, yeah. I mean, of course that's the, that's the goal, you know, the simplest mm-hmm. definition mm-hmm. of success, you know, but the success is loving it enough that you want to do it again. Like that, that is the genuine definition of success in my opinion. Right. It's like we've always said, we don't give a shit about a kill, no kill. It doesn't matter. And if anybody has not killed, you've either not hunted new places enough or you just haven't hunted enough in, in general. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yep. It's like it's not not an uncommon thing. That's why we, you know, uh, there's a good bit of our films that don't have yeah. a kill and we don't really care. St- statistically, most people don't get one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you go by statistics, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you, there's some hunts yeah. that are, you know, they manage for higher harvest success and certainly people, you know, they're, those are kind of your premiere and, and they're often the harder ones to draw. But I mean, for the most part, if you look at muzzleloader statistics across the state of New Mexico or archery statistics, no, no matter the animal, 
Most people don't get one. The majority yeah. of the people that have a permit in their pocket go home without an animal. Yeah, you were in the majority going home like that. If you do kill, you're a minority within that. Huh? Yeah, like I mean, that's the, genuine data. The the goal is to get one. Certainly, I understand that, and you probably have a little bit of frustration with not filling a permit. I mean, I I know that everybody that goes out on a hunt and they've got a tag and they anticipate it. You know, they've 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 drawn it or got this permit. There's a lot that goes into that, and all the planning and research and everything. I mean, the goal is that, but. I mean, it, it happens. Like that's as long how, that's as you hunting. take as long as you take good sunset and sunrise <laughs> pictures, then it, then it's all good. We got those. <laughs> yeah. Uh. yeah, yeah, yeah. The self, the sun, the sunrise selfies are are uh, really the consolation. The, exactly. As long as you take really good ones of those, then well, you're good. We'll use that as a thumbnail, Lane. Yeah, exactly. Lane, <laughs> Lane with the sunset <laughs> selfie. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you're welcome, yeah. Lane. There we go. <laughs> Yeah. You uh you try to hunt with your, your 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 family every year? Is that like kind of prereq? I mean, is that something that you really try to do? Yeah, I mean, around here it's not it's not uh hard to get a pocket full of tags, right? And so hmm. so from from the perspective of the opportunity to get out, we all live in the same town, we all uh have tags in the same spot unless someone draws something good. So um, we, yeah, it's an excuse to go out and do it every weekend. We spend, spend a lot of time between the, the six week archery and the six week, um, rifle season. Yeah. We spend, spend tons of time together. And, um, my dad and my grandpa hunted the same spot for like cool. 30 years. And that's where we, we grew up hunting too. So there's definitely like a component of that where the, the spot is not as good as it used to be, but we like going there anyway, because it's. It's kind of a family thing. We never, ever see any other people there. Um, we have a lot of, you know, stories, a lot of nice bucks we've shot in there and uh, through the years. And so, yeah, it, it, it's more than going out and, and looking for animals. Definitely. It's got, it, it, it kind of builds that family connection. And, and, and now it's just more of a tradition than anything. Hmm. Yeah, that's cool. Something I've noticed, it's, um, you know, my family, we all kind of, got our own families and moved out away from home. There's a lot of times like my own brothers, the, the ones that still hunt a lot of times, the only time I really see them is if we go on a hunt together. Like I yeah. got a brother that lives in Boise. I, I only, I very rarely see him, you know, but like this last year we went on a deer hunt together. He had an elk tag, but I don't know. It just gives you that opportunity that, that thing that kind of holds a little bit of a bond together. You're like, this mm -hmm. is the thing that we're going to do and go out and go hunting and you know, see each other once a year. Yeah, maybe. it's the purest form of it. It's not a backyard barbecue with yeah. TVs and phones and yeah. games on and all that shit. It's like the purest form of it. That was one thing I know. Last year when I went yeah. with him in uh, in Idaho, I got to thinking when I got back from that. Like I don't remember probably since I was a kid. Like since he and I lived under the same roof, that was the longest amount of time in twenty five years that we'd actually spent together just talking. That's crazy. So I mean, you know, potentially wouldn't have. It wouldn't happen really yeah. with, without the opportunity to get out in the hills and go hunting and just get out of cell phone service. Otherwise, yeah. I just find my own little corner and, <laughs> and just go, yeah, and just disappear. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Well, that's cool, man. I I liked the film. I I thought it was awesome. I thought it was really well put together. I thought the like I said, I thought yeah. the the shots, the cinematography, it was awesome. Mather hit a home yeah, run. Yeah, I agree. Hey, do you do you yeah. notice by the way how he says tags? Mm -hmm. You notice that. Mm -hmm. It's a weird, weird, once you get up to Montana, for whatever reason, you know how Minnesota has like a clear accent? Mm -hmm. Montana, they say like T-E-G-S or like bags. Tags? Yeah, tags. And like bags are like B-E-G-S. Like bags? bags and yeah. tags. Bags and tags? Yeah, when I went up to Montana, I'm like, what? 
what are you guys saying? Like, this is, <laughs> this is so weird. Bags and tags. And it's like the only, it's the only accent Montana has. Did you notice that when I, you were there? Well, I think he needs to say it again right now. I want to hear it one more time. Let's hear you say tags. 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 <laughs> How does somebody from Minnesota yeah, say it? Minnesota has like a clear accent through all of their speech. Montana, yeah. it's, it's just, just it's a few just, words. Yeah, it's just like the, the those quick like the A's become E's. Gotcha. So, but it's the only thing you wouldn't notice that they had an accent any other place. Mm. Did you notice that when you're at school there? I noticed it immediately. I don't know because everyone kept making fun of my Minnesota. Well, you were yeah, actually yeah, that's a good point. You're from Minnesota. <laughs> then I lost it. They talk. I mean, they talk like a southwestern person, but then they just have that little thing. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Tags and bags. You know you've heard that about Missoula before. You know. I Yeah, I've definitely heard that. And it's funny because I hear Midwest. I hear obviously the South. I hear all these other accents. And I think to myself, man, Mon Montana and the Northwest just has the purest form of the English language out there. <laughs> <laughs> Except for we have one one flaw on one, one two words. That's yeah, it. So, there you go. Something so weird. <laughs> I kind of want to hear Brady yeah. do a Minnesota accent. Could you imagine when yeah. he rolled up with I don't a Minnesota think accent? I don't, even, I don't even have one anymore. If you want to hear my mom and dad, my brothers talk like, whew. Yeah, they have it for they sure. They thick. We might yeah. have to get your dad and brother on sometime yeah, just so I can listen do. to them. Yeah, that's a good accent. I, I, I appreciate the Minnesota accent. Minnesota. It's a good one. Well, good deal. Did you guys have any other questions? I appreciate you coming on, Lane. It was fun to watch. Like I said, I hope everybody yeah. you know, tunes in Sunday. It's, it's a good film. Like I said, I always love the family films me too family dynamic because i guess what we all grew up doing is hunting with our families and just enjoying those times together and like you can see it like they you know they hunt up together all the time something that everyone can relate to i think yeah. great film yeah 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 great film good story appreciate you guys having me on this was fun any parting words lane what do you what do you got for us Oh man, you should have told me this was coming, Trail. I, <laughs> I don't know if I do have any any parting words. That's I, I can't do that at the moment like that. It's just go Grizz. Go that's Grizz. The, that's the parting words. Go, go Grizz. That's it. That's, <laughs> it. that's probably going to get them out of everything we've talked about. That might get the biggest response of anything, and I hope it does. Yeah, Grizz baby. Well, I, I also didn't know that you went to that other college that I will not speak I know, their name I of. Did, I did not know that about I you I did not well. know that he went there for a brief period of time. So I kind of think a little bit less of you. You're not a purist, man. I'm not going to be as nice to you anymore. I don't. You're Benedict Arnold. Yeah, I don't like to, <laughs> I don't like to make that, that information public, but I guess I just did. So it's <laughs> wow. not for everyone to judge now. I'll let it slide. You're a nice guy. You're Grizz for life. Lane is a nice guy. He is. Kind. <laughs> kind gentleman. Yep. Very good. I appreciate it guys well thanks Lane. we appreciate it yeah and thank you everybody uh check out the yeah. film like i said dropping sunday morning at 9 9 a.m close quarters close quarters and hopefully a lot of people have successful close new quarters. mexico applications yeah time to dive in it's yeah. a good if you do it's a good film to watch to get you ready for it yep, mm -hmm. yep. all right awesome. thanks thanks for having me on guys yeah thank you see you guys, see you guys.